Well, Diane Cordish, welcome to the journey. And uh, let me just explain a little bit about what the journey is. The journey is a, 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 a platform, a, a show that really just is focused on individuals who've had stories of maybe an obstacle has happened some, somewhere along their life and they had to overcome that obstacle and that obstacle became a teacher or they've had some kind of setback or some kind of loss. And then as a result of that setback or loss, um, their, their life now moved into a different directory than they ever thought it was going to be. And I, and I know you have, you have a story uh, to, to share and have been sharing. And so that's why I wanted to have you on the journey. So, uh, so, so welcome to the journey. Thank um, you. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, but before we get started with that, um, if you're not out you know, doing what you do for a living and now what you do is part of your, your mission, um, what, do you, what does Diane do for fun? <laughs> well, Diane likes to go to the beach. Oh, okay. So I take many trips to Florida just to decompress. And when I'm in Florida, it just watching the waves makes me feel closer to God, closer to my daughter. And it's just very relaxing. So, you know, do you, and I, and I totally, I was just having this conversation with my daughter over the weekend about uh, when I, uh, watching the wind blow through the leaves of, of trees, mm -hmm. in my mind, cat is kind of like the idea of like the Holy Spirit uh, of, of God moving. It's like I can't, I can feel it and I can see it but I can't see the actual wind. And um, that's a and good so, analogy. <laughs> so so I, I think of the same thing when I'm in the ocean uh, or by the ocean as well, any body of water, but then also the mountains I get the, I get the same kind of. Exactly. Sound, you know? So do you have a favorite place uh, in Florida to go? I do. Um, I go to Bonita Springs, which is down um, between Fort Myers and Naples. It's right on the Gulf. And I always rent a little condo in Dolphin Way. Just pretty isolated on a little island and I just bring my devotional and I bring books and crosswords and I just basically relax by the beach whether it's a stormy day or a beautiful sunny day there's just something amazing about watching it and yeah. it's just so peaceful <laughs> I, I agree and, and and one of the things I think for me that I always uh, whenever I go to the beach especially a large body of water like by the ocean um, it just amazes me how small uh, I feel in comparison to how big uh, God or how big the ocean is, right? And just it, it, exactly. it, it, it puts things in perspective pretty quickly. So, yes, so, so yes, I, and I, uh, unfortunately, we have our, our vacation time, vacationing this year has been limited, like I think it is for, for many people because of, of the pandemic. But, uh, right. But there'll be that, there'll be that time soon enough. There'll be that time where we can get grounded. Yeah. So what else I like to do is I like to read. I like to do knitting or crocheting. Um, right after Amanda passed, um, all my family brought yarn over, and I just started crocheting, and it was the thing that got my mind off stuff, and I was able to just kind of zone out and just make blankets. So I made tons of blankets. <laughs> Okay. Now, were you doing the crocheting? Were you doing that before, um, before Amanda died? Or was that just something you kind of picked up during that? Just a little bit. I didn't really know too much. So I just kind of YouTube some videos and just uh, kind of took it from there. Gotcha. Okay. So, uh, and I know you currently you're working as a school teacher, correct? 
Yes, I work okay. at Harlan High School as a math teacher. A math teacher, okay. Yeah. And and then you had mentioned that you graduated from Harlem, so you're a Husky alumni yes. of the South, yes. That's 84. <laughs> yeah. And and so when you were at Harlem, what uh what what types of activities were you involved with? What did you do extracurricular or uh, yes. Extra okay. I was in the tennis team for four years. Um I love that. I also was on student council for the four years and enjoyed that. Um, I did a little choir, not too much, and there weren't, as, there weren't as many clubs back then as there are now as far as getting involved in stuff, but it seems like every day I would stay after school for two or three hours working on stuff with people, so I enjoyed my experience there. You know, it, it, one, of the, one of the, I have many, many memories of, of my time at Harlem, but one of the things that I remember, it, even when we weren't having practice for sports after school there seemed to be if, if school got out at 220 or whatever it was um it seemed like uh we would stick around the building and sit in the, in the cafeteria or hang out for yep. like hours afterwards and and i think about that now and that did not seem like when i worked at harlem that didn't seem like you know individuals were you know if you weren't there for a reason you didn't hang out and and it was different back in the 80s where we would we it was we hung out there. You know? <laughs> so. In the commons and people would come in and you would just socialize. It was yeah. wonderful. There was no cell phones to distract you and you had each other's company and yeah. Yeah. it was nice. Yeah. We, it, it, it is weird now thinking, now thinking about it because I haven't thought about it in a long time, but we would get to school early so we could yes. socialize and then we would stick around after class was over to socialize. So it was, uh, yeah, that was, that yeah, I wonder when that, maybe it was the cell phones that, you know, during that part with technology and everything that things shifted. Um, yeah. So, so, uh, so right after Harlem, you went away to school or? Yeah, so then I um, went into Chicago and I um, went to North Park College, which is now North Park University. It's a small Christian college from the Covenant Church. And I started out um, as pre-pharmacy. Then I changed it to pre-med and I took all my math and science. And at the end of four years, I realized I don't know if I want to go another eight years. So I thought, what can I do with math and science? And I love children. And I thought, you know, I think, I think I have a niche for this. So I decided to pursue my teaching degree. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah. And, and did you stay at North Park, North Park to get your degree in education? Or? Yes, I did. I also was an exchange student in Sweden for a semester through North Park because I have a minor in Swedish okay. and uh, we actually were in Sweden like in 1986 I hope I said that right um, and we took a study trip to Russia and we got out of Russia the day Chernobyl blew up oh wow so that's a crazy tidbit of information I was in Helsinki Finland when it went off Really okay, and and what and and obviously that was a huge had a huge impact not only in in the Scandinavian and in Soviet Union and Scandinavian area, but but also impacting the whole world. What what do you remember about that time period? I mean, you were like twenty twenty two early twenties, right? When that happened, and uh, it was scary, and we heard. From a European standpoint, they made it seem like it wasn't a big deal. Everybody in America was calling the president of the college and our parents saying, you need to come home today. And of course, you're 20 years old and you think you're fine. So 
uh, we all decided to stay at school. The school was going to pay to send us home that, that day. Um, and yeah, it was very scary. But then I decided to backpack through Europe on my own. And I just had to be very um, aware. Like I couldn't eat the, the fresh fruit and veggies that you would normally get at a stand. I had to buy other things. You couldn't drink the milk because it could be contaminated by the cows who ate the, the grass. So different things that you just really need to be aware of. So, so, so you went backpacking around, around Europe during that time period too. Yes, I did. So, <laughs> it was so amazing. I, yeah. The people you meet and the places you see and everybody in Europe is so friendly. There wasn't one day that I did not meet people to hang out with. Right. Now, did you back, did you say you backpacked by yourself or were you with someone else? I was going to be with a friend and she backed out at the last minute and I didn't want to go home. So I did it on my own. Wow. That's a, that's a pretty uh, <laughs> adventurous journey in itself. Uh, if, if there was anything about that backpacking trip, what would you, what would, what would stand out to you? I mean, I know there must've been tons of things that you saw and experienced, but if there was something, either what you experienced or saw anything that was. Um, so site wise, I think Paris is the most beautiful city in the world. I think um, the French, I had no problem with them. I, I had three years of, of French in Harlem, and that was enough. As far as personal experiences, it made me know that I can be a strong person before I thought I could be a strong person. And it, may, it gave me a lot of time for reflection. I would go to like a lake in Garmisch, Germany, and I would just sit and journal, listen to my music. And it was maybe then I didn't realize how peaceful I liked the water. You know, and it was, it was very eye-opening that I could conquer things on my own. And sometimes you tend to forget that if you don't have to pursue that again, so. Well, and I, and I think it's interesting, you know, I do, a, I do a talk on resiliency. And resiliency, you know, doesn't come without practicing doing mm. tough things. You, you, you have to get, you have to practice doing tough things so that you can, uh, become stronger when tough things come, right? And and so it doesn't come by actually. You're not born with it. it it's developed right. over time, and and sometimes it'll be situations like going on a, a, a three month backpacking trip by yourself. And I imagine that you know, uh, especially when your friend decided not to go, there you know, an easier thing would have been to not go. Um, right. and a, a safer thing would have been to not go, but, um, but you wouldn't have learned what you learned about yourself, let alone what you saw. Um, and I think there's always a, an opportunity for that to prepare us for something, you know, as life goes on. And, um, and wow. You know, I, I never put the two together, but you're absolutely right. That has, um, taken me on my journey to where I needed to be so that I could conquer much more difficult things in my life. Because you can't, you, you, you knew, you can't unknow what you knew by doing it on that trip. Even, right. even, even when we want to go small and we want someone to just rescue us from it, um, that, that voice inside us goes, yeah, but remember when it was tough when, and you still, there's more there. And, 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 and I think that's why it's so important that in this particular case, that was something you volunteered to do. Right. And, and, and you chose to do that. And other times things happen in our life 
and we didn't have a choice, but how we respond to it, we do have choice you right. know, with that. So, so you come back from Europe, um, and but you still had more school to do. Yes. Yeah. So I still had, that was my sophomore year. I still had two more years at school. So I stayed in Chicago at North Park, um, got, enjoyed taking math classes, um, got my math degree, have a strong minor in um, biology because I was close to finishing for pre-med. Um, I think I'm two classes away from a degree in bio. Okay. And then since I was in Sweden, I ended up getting a minor in Swedish. I don't know if I'll use it, but it was fun. <laughs> and then I um, decided to pursue my teaching degree, which was an amazing place to do it because I, I um, had student teaching at inner city schools. I student taught like in a suburb at a Catholic school. And then my major chunk was in um, Skokie at uh, Lincoln Junior High. Okay. Okay. And, and then um, after you got done with your student teaching, you came back to this area or did you work? Yeah, I stayed there for about two to three more years. I um, actually got a job in the airlines for United Airlines right afterwards. Cause I, I finished student teaching in the middle of a, a school year mm -hmm. and it was hard to get a teaching position and I got into the airlines. So I kind of worked my way up. I did a lot of training for new hires for like cargo reservations. And then I was a supervisor. And then towards the end, I went upstairs and I did some market pricing implementation where you design the fares for the, the airlines. And of course that came with awesome perks because I got to fly around. Sure, sure. So, yeah, and then after that, um, I met my husband and we decided to move back home because I thought I'd want to live somewhere else, but after you get married and then you start having kids, then you just want to be by family. So then we came back to Loves Park and got a place here and got our family. Now, is your husband from this area or is he? He, uh, he uh, was born in California. He okay. grew up there until his dad passed away and then they moved to Washington State. Okay. So um, he lived in Washington State till he graduated from high school. And then he went in the Marine Corps. And when he got out, his family had moved to Las Vegas. So he decided to join his family. And I actually met him on one of my weekend trips for my free flights out there. So we dated long distance for a couple of years, back and forth for the airlines. And then I don't know how I convinced him to move to crazy, freezing weather out here. <laughs> <laughs> She reminds me of quite often. Yeah. <laughs> so from California to Washington State to the Marine Corps. He's to... shaking his head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what's your husband's first name? Mitch. Mitch. Okay. And and what does Mitch do now? Um, Mitch um, does testing for the military. So oh. he runs the ASVAB testing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. So then, um, and, and so then you guys started your family in um, Loves Park, Chesney Park area. We, and, did yeah. we did quickly move to Seattle for one year when Amanda was little. And then after a year, I realized I missed family again. So <laughs> we came back here and we've been here since. Okay. Okay. And, and well, so let me, let me ask about that. So with your family of origin, um, how, how many siblings do you have? Your, your, are your parents still alive? Yeah, both my parents are alive. They live right in the park. They're both retired. Um, and then I have two brothers. Um, Bill is like four years younger than me, and then Matt is another 18 months younger than him. Okay. And they're all in the area, so it's kind of nice. 
Gotcha. So, so it is interesting how, uh, no matter how much of you enjoyed traveling and how much you enjoyed the adventures of that, when it came to having your own family, then there was a desire for that, for, for those roots for, for, yes. for settling. So it is, it is, it is interesting. And then for any of the listeners who have, have young adult children who seem to be, uh, you know, wandering right now, that doesn't necessarily mean they aren't going to come back home. Right. They will. So, they will. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, Amanda uh, is your oldest. And then how many other. Amanda would be 29 now. Um, Ian is 26. And then Seth is 19. Okay, gotcha. So, and, and the, um, your boys, where, what, are they, what are they doing now? Where? Um, Seth has actually moved out to Las Vegas. He goes full-time to UNLV. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, he is pursuing a, an RN position, or he wants to become a nurse in the trauma in the ER area. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know if part of that had to do with Amanda, part of that had to do with he broke his leg in football a couple okay. years ago, and he was really just intrigued by all the the uh, ER and the trauma and the surgeries and stuff. So, Sure. Okay. And then my other son went to Iowa State after high school for two years, and he had some difficulty. He was still having anxiety from Amanda and different issues, so he decided to move back home. He was pursuing a chem E, a chemical engineering degree. Um, so he took some time off. He was working at Chrysler as a supervisor. And then just in January, he said, mom, I've decided I need that degree. I have to go back. Um, and he asked if he could move back home for a short time so he could pursue school full time. And he went to Rock Valley and then COVID happened. So okay. Uh, unfortunately, he's not really a um, e-learning type because he was taking very um, high-level courses in science. So he had like chemi or what did he have? Organic Chem Two, Calculus sure. Three, Biochemistry, and he's like, "Mom, I really can't get the education I need by doing those high-level lab courses." So he's kind of in limbo right now, too, waiting to see what's going to happen before he finishes. I know that I just was meeting because I do some talks out at Rock Valley and they were talking about that 75% of their classes are going to be online um, this year, but the 25% that are going to be in person are going to be the higher level um, classes that are requiring labs. Um, and, and so I just throw that out to you or throw that out to him just to maybe I will pass it on to him because he really wants to get back in there and finish it up and then transfer back to Iowa actually. Okay. So yeah. So maybe if he, if, uh, Andrew McCauley is one of the student advisors that I work with and, um, and success, I think she's success counselors. That's what they call them. And that may be someone for him to contact. And was it Andrew and, and Andrea? Oh, Andrea McCauley. Yep. Okay. I will. I wrote it down. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, so tell us a little bit about Amanda. What What was Amanda like? What was What was she, What was she into? What was she like? Um, I didn't get I didn't get a chance to to know her and meet her, but uh, I've heard wonderful stories. So, so. Okay. Um, she was a very bubbly, outgoing personality. Um, 
she was friends with everybody. So she didn't feel like she had a best friend. We talked about this before the crash. And that's because everybody was her best friend. So she would come home and she would talk about, um, she would bring different groups of, of friends to the house. And she was like, mom, don't you dare judge any of my friends because you don't know what their past is. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what their life's like. And I'm there for them. So she had friends from her dance team. She had friends from her honors classes. She had um, friends that were athletic, friends that were stoners, friends that were um, punk rock. I mean, she just had the whole genre of friends that she hung out with, which I think was amazing. And even better was that she would always say, don't judge anybody. You don't know their past. And so that kind of stuck in my head too. But um, she was, she was a dancer since she was three. She danced at Forest Hills Dance. Um, she was on the varsity dance squad as a freshman. She, what else did she do? She helped in student council. She had a job part-time at Culver's, which kind of almost turned into full-time because she was there quite a bit. Um, she was active in our church in the youth group. She went on some mission trips through the church. Um, she just was a very go-getter, you know, there was nothing. She was one that would sit at the school for hours and hang out in the commons okay. with people. Okay. So yeah, she was a very bubbly, energetic. She had, um, goals very early. She had said to me, mom, can I skip our senior year in high school? I really just want to go to university of Iowa. She wanted to be a forensic pathologist and she wanted to minor in dance. So, um, one of the trips they took at Harlem, I think it was with Shula, Miss Bertram, um, for her class was to go to UW Platteville and see an autopsy and see um, cause of death and all that stuff. And I thought, well, that's it. She'll, she'll see it and she'll be gone. She texted me and said how amazing it was. You know, she's like, oh my gosh, mom, they died from the renal failure, from the tubulars mm. or tubular. Yeah, she just was very intense into it. So that was really nice to see. Um, for a career class, she also got to interview a CSI person from Winnebago County. So they took her, it was supposed to be a 15 minute interview and she was there for like three and a half, four hours oh, wow. because they weren't busy. Yeah. And they showed her how to do blood spatter and fingerprinting. And so she, she always made the most of whatever she did, which was really cool. And, and even prior to a teenager, would you say that that was a pretty uh, lifelong characteristic of, of yeah. Amanda? Yeah, she was pretty outgoing. She was very bubbly and made a lot of friends. She went from Maple School to McChesney. She um, applied and got in for the fine arts. Okay. So she did the singing, dancing, kind of was always, didn't feel like she was in the spotlight, but she, she was, you know. Mm -hmm. And that kind of showed... Um, when we had her visitation, I think it was four or five hours long and people were lined up outside all the way around the block. And if you would have asked her if she could get down and see, she would say, Oh mom, I don't have that many friends, you know? Oh no. And the girlfriends and the guy friends that would came up and say, wow, she was the most amazing person in the world. Just, you know, the teachers, the church people, the neighbors, and it didn't just end with kids. It was she influenced everybody. She influenced the neighborhood. She influenced her teachers. Um, she influenced the people at our church. So um, people from Culver's customers 
that still approach me when they see something and will say, you know, I remember going through the drive-thru and there was this bubbly, crazy girl that just made us feel so special. So she really touched a lot of lives. Where where do you think you you mentioned a couple times about uh, when when she was going to introduce you uh, to friends and they may be from variety of different groups, but it was important it was important for other people because I'm assuming she herself because she didn't judge other people based upon whatever the cover looked like of the of the book. Um, Where do you think that came from? That whole of being open and seeing people just as people. Well, I would hope it was from the morals at home, (laughs) but I feel like um, raising her with a Christian foundation made a huge difference. You know, from the time they were, the kids were little, they were always involved in church. They always went to the Iwana club, which is kind of a club where you could learn Bible verses and play games. And they would go to vacation Bible schools. Um, when the kids were younger, I ran a daycare and I would take, and I asked permission from my parents and I would bring each of my little daycare littles from VBS to VBS. And I would take them for the week to different, and I would enroll them and pay for it and take them to different little vacation Bible schools. So she definitely had the Christian foundation and, um, hopefully between me and her father, we raised her with that type of standard and morals. So you know, you, you, you had just mentioned something that uh, about what you did when you had your daycare. And then, of course, obviously, Amanda would, would have been part of that, right? You know, yeah. when, when she was younger. And it, it reminded me of when I was at Grace Lutheran Church um, in, in Loves Park, I, my youth leader was Cal Carlson. And one of the things that he did similar is that he would bring us on Sundays instead of going to church at Grace Lutheran. I mean, we did that too, but but once a month or whatever it was, he would bring us in a van to different churches to experience different types of services. And, and, and I, and I think for me, that was such a foundational um, experience of being able to experience different denominations and, and recognizing that there was a lot more than this, uh, uh, mainstream Lutheran evangelical Lutheran, uh, you know, um, approach. And, and that really allowed me to grow and, and be able to see that. And cause I think sometimes, you know, the values that like, for, that I was taught was to, you know, um, be like Jesus, right. To, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile that, you know, we were just, we're God's children. And sometimes um, the more that we're within a tribe, the more that we have a tendency not to, we, we may talk the talk, but we may. Yeah, we, like this. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think the stories that you must have shared and your husband must have shared with Amanda because of the diversity of things that you guys were exposed to was definitely what she must have picked up on um, in, in that um you know, she saw people for people, not necessarily for the tribe or the group or how they looked. And um, I think sometimes that can be the greatest gift to us as parents when our, our children not only get it, but they do it. Right. And, um, and they model that. So, so 
so kind of just for our listeners and, and also, as well as for myself. So, so tell us, tell us a little bit about the story of what happened uh, 12 years ago, just so that, because obviously some of the, we, we know that Amanda died, but what, what are some of the, what are some of the details of that? And, and then we'll kind of fast forward to where you're at now. Okay. So Amanda was 17 years old. It was um, in the summer in the end of July and she had switched shifts with a friend at Culver's. And so she had worked all day long. Um, she had come home shortly after her shift. She still had her Culver's uniform on. And one of the guys at work had called her and said, Amanda, I left my laptop at your house. Can you run it back to my house? So um, she wasn't supposed to go out that late, but she kind of sweet talked her daddy. Come on, can I go back out? So um, she ran over to her friend PJ's house and dropped off the laptop. She was on her way back home and she was probably, we live about three blocks away from the accident. And she was driving through a green light and a guy ran a red light and hit her passenger side car and killed her instantly. He was at the time close to three times over the legal limit and he was high on marijuana. Um, he had been with his friends golfing and hanging out and going to bars all day long. And, uh, so she was going through the green. He T-boned her in through a red light and, uh, they couldn't get her out of the car, but they said she died very quickly. The sad part was that, uh, she had a little white Toyota Celica and a bunch of her friends were coming home from Showplace 16 after the movies and they went through the intersection and they saw her car and knew instantly it was her. So with social media, they're all telling all their friends and everybody shows up at Road Ranger and the police said it was the most hysterical, awful scene they've ever pursued. So all her friends knew of the accident before we did, how we never had anybody say anything to us just amazed us mm-hmm. but uh that's kind of the story of what happened wow so sorry that i yeah i, I can't i can't even imagine i the closest thing i can relate to is i got a phone call from my son and he was in an accident on 173 and thank goodness no one was killed but we didn't know that was the case when i got the phone call um and um so i can't even i can't even imagine um so, so that that was twelve years ago, just a couple of weeks ago, in, in the end of July, and 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 so, kind of tell me a little bit, or tell us a little bit about. Obviously, there's grief and shock um, from that from that aspect. So, tell us tell us a little bit about what what are some of the things that you've experienced? And I know you, you're you're a pretty strong advocate now. Um, so so. so kind of walk us through a little bit uh, the best you can um, of, of afterwards. Uh, well, a lot of it, God gives you that mental blur, so you don't really realize everything that happens. But um, we had to go through this the um, trial. I showed up to every court date. There was a lot of things that happened earlier about the blood draws at the hospital. If you investigate the, the Doctors didn't want to draw the blood because he refused. And then they took him to the, down to the jail and they drew it anyways. So a lot of those little laws have changed because of her. 
the um, legislation has changed due to our, our government pursuing that. Um, I also joined MAD, and I, which is Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and then AIM, um, Alliance Against Intoxicated Motorists. Um, we went through a civil trial because the criminal trial didn't seem like it was very, I don't know, satisfying, I guess, and was awarded money, although we haven't seen a penny of anything, which is, I was hoping to have some money to help my kids for college. Um, what else is said? The civil, the criminal trial took a few years. In that time, um, I myself was right in the middle of grad school. I had started to pursue my master's in education so that I could go back and teach littles. I wanted to teach pre-K and kindergarten. Mm -hmm. I was running a daycare out of my house at the time and staying home with my own children. Um, sadly, all my children had problems functioning. You know, we all pursued separate counseling services, which were amazing. Um, the 14 year old couldn't get out of bed to go to school. Um, although he did graduate this kind of, it, it doesn't go away. So year after year, he would have issues from that. Um, the younger one just cried himself to sleep every night, although he was younger. So he said, mom, I, I'm sad. Some of my memories are fading of sissy and I can't remember stuff about her, which is even harder because he was only seven when it happened. Mm -hmm. uh, my husband had a job through Comcast and he tried to go back too soon and he wasn't able to do it. Um, eventually they um, let his job go. So he lost his job and he really, even to this day, is having a hard time being employed full time. He just does little things here or there. Um, myself, I, oh, I didn't tell you, I had this amazing conversation with Amanda a half an hour before she died. And she called me on the phone and she said, mom, you know, how's it going? How's life? Just, just that chatter. And we talked about grad school and she said, no matter what happens in life, promise me that you will always pursue, you will finish your degree. You will get a kick job, kick butt jobs teaching at Parker center. Cause that's where I wanted to be. And you will be happy. And I said, honey, I'm happy. Okay. I just want to make sure you're happy. And then within half an hour, she was gone. So she didn't know that. We just had that conversation, but I know God put that in her heart because that is what's gotten me through. You know, that, that little promise to her is what I need to be an example for her. I need to be an example for my children. And I want the world to know that you can overcome adversity. It's hard, but with faith in God and with your family that you can overcome things. So I finished my grad school. I graduated with a 4.0. I was determined to get everything perfect. Um, and then I'll tell you the story about how I ended up back at Harlem in a minute. But uh, yeah, so unfortunately people grieve differently. So another sad part of our story is that me and my husband separated for probably four years maybe. He just couldn't talk about her at all. All I wanted to do was talk about her. Um, he couldn't go back to work and I pushed myself through my work. Um, so there was people grieve differently and it was, I don't know what to say. It just, it, 
it was a wedge that drove us apart. But then through counseling and through different things, eventually we ended up back together because after we had our own silent grieving, now we're able to talk about her and we're able to do stuff together. So, you know, I, I think we can't say, um, say too lightly about that aspect of we grieve differently. Um, because we can intellectually understand that, right? Oh yeah, we grieve differently, right? And but at the same time, I have I have the expectation that you're going to grieve like me if you're closest to me, right? And 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 I may not say that because I don't want to be that much of a clod. But the fact is, is that I I want my closest person to me or my significant others to to grieve with me the same way that I want to grieve which also then means I don't necessarily want to grieve the way you're grieving. Um, and so, and I think that it, it, it does take a lot of effort to work through that and that it's okay because it's okay. Um, but that's, that's tough because um, I, one of the things that you reminded me um, or came up when you were just talking about going through the difficulties of the trial. Um, I, 11 years ago, I think it was, um, I started, uh, I inherited the, the homicide support group uh, for the William Bayo County. And uh, Bill Kerr died, uh, he was the pastor at uh, uh, Riverside Community Church. And when he, when he died suddenly, um, they asked me to come in and, and help out with that homicide support group. And, and some of the individuals that attend that group have lost um, family members uh, to, uh, to DUIs, to dr intoxicated drivers. And, and not that any type of, um, uh, any, any type of traumatic death, uh, you know, they're all, all those, Unfortunately, all those losses have a very similar threat, but uh, similar to what you talked about, there is so many, or had, has been in the past, so many loopholes um, and technicalities that uh, it, it seems like there's never, and there, there's never justice when it, um, yeah, and, and not that, not, not that there's ever going to be amount of time for someone to be incarcerated that's ever going to undo what was done. Um, but there is that seems to be a, a common theme with the individuals that attend the group is that there's that desire for um, to be heard for justice. And um, it's also part of the grieving process because there's not. Right. And that does help in the grieving process. And it was gut wrenching. I mean, how many times I sat there and had to look at this person and, you know, and stand up on the, the podium. And, but that was something I needed to do to get my closure, even though it wasn't closure. Now, Mitch was the opposite. He didn't want to be there at all. He didn't want to see him. He didn't want to hear about it. And he shut himself off. And that was another wedge that, you know, Sadly, and the grieving process is never over. I mean, it's still there. You know, you still have your good days. You still have your bad days. Mm -hmm. You still have days that you can talk about and laugh. And then you have days that every time you talk about it, you just cry. Yeah. But yeah, everything kind of, it just, I, I'm able to put things in the back of my head versus the front of my head. When I let it come to the front of my head, it hurts more. And then there's days that I can put it like, 
categorize it and put it a little further back. So, but what I have found though is by um, doing things in her honor, it brings me some peace, you know, and to know that every time I go into a classroom that I can tell her story. And every time that any big holiday comes around and the news crews still call and they still want to do PSAs about her. And I think that's amazing that this, this child has so much, um, had so much potential that people are still interested in hearing her story. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, and I, as we were mentioning Xavier earlier that um, with, with, her, uh, I think her, her saying was, how do I turn my pain into purpose? And, and being able to uh, try to raise that awareness of, about, uh, in, in that case, mental illness and suicide. It's um, an amazing job, an yeah. amazing job. Yeah. And, and, but I think it is part of, uh, the, there's a gentleman, uh, David Kessler, who worked with Elizabeth uh, Kubler-Ross, um, and uh, Ross's work was, her work was originally about um, the stages that we experience as we're um, terminally ill, and then also, then later, they turned it into the stages we experience when we're, when we're going through grief. Because of his own grief that his son, his son was uh, died as a result of an overdose when he was in his early 20s even though he intellectually understood those all this work that he had done on grief it led him to then come up with the sixth stage that we experience which is meaning um, that somewhere in the midst of this grief I need this loss to have some form of meaning that wouldn't have happened if this loss wouldn't have happened so it's so what did I learn? What did Diane learn about Diane that she wouldn't have learned if Amanda wouldn't have died? When she died or how she died? Yeah. Well, so. Diane learned that she's a much stronger person than she thought. <laughs> um, yeah. So with with that, and, and that was what we were talking earlier when you went backpacking across Europe, um, and, and you were young, you were 20 years old and, and you, ex, you know, experienced, you know, that, and there was times when you could have given up and, and come home early uh, on that, uh, and that, on that trip. Um, and I guess there could have been a way of giving up, um, or in that, the, not on days where similar to that, that three month, you know, trip that you did. Um, there was times where your pace was different on some days versus others. And, and I imagine that that's how it's been um, during the last 12 years, that some days you have a different pace than other days. That's definitely true. And people think, well, it's been 12 years, she's back to normal. You're not. I have some days still that I just can't get out of bed. And then I have to tell myself that's okay. It's okay to grieve for this day, stay in bed, you know, call in sick and pray and then I can wake up the next day and I I'm better and I can move on. And I, you need to allow yourself that, that time where you can just grieve for a little bit. And then the next day I'm good to go. And then as soon as I get in my classroom, I see all those faces and it just, I don't know. I, I didn't realize what a symbol of hope and, 
encouragement I are I am to so many so many kids so as I start my school year every year which I don't know what it's going to look like this year I have pictures of all three of my kids and I sit down and I tell the kids you know I start with the youngest one um, and I tell them all about Seth and and a lot of kids still know him because he just graduated and he was involved in football and track and basketball and he was a pretty popular kid <laughs> um, very outgoing just like Amanda and then I tell them about my middle child and I tell them about um, Ian and how he went to Iowa State and what he's doing now in his life and how he was more in the um, the science Olympiad, the math team, the engineering team, and how he took a different approach to school. And then I get a picture of Amanda, you know, and I, I pause because some of the boys will be like, oh, she's so pretty and cute. And and then I say um, she would be 29. And then I, I tell her story, how she was killed by a drunk driver, um, how she had hopes and aspirations to go to college, how she just wanted to skip her senior year of school. Mom, please, high school is so lame. Just let me skip it and go right to college. I want to pursue my degree. So like she was so excited to move forward in life and that got cut immediately short, you know? And then I tell the kids that I went through a divorce and a separation and, and people grieve differently. And um, it took years and years and years to get back to where we should be. And I know you kids are going through a lot of things at school. You know, you're at that age. Some of you might be going through domestic issues at home. Some of you might be going through divorce. Some of you might've lost a loved one. You might have an alcoholic family member. Um, if you need to talk, I am here. You know, that is my job. I'm not just a teacher. I am, I'm here to listen to you. So don't ever think you can approach me because I have been through as much crap I say nicely, <laughs> maybe not, um, even more than what you've been through, you know, and it usually brings tears and, and, but that seems to open the path for, for communication, you know, and then they'll say, oh my gosh, we drive by that corner all the time. Is that her? Is that the picture? And then that's another dialogue. And then when we have parent teacher conferences, somehow that comes up usually. And then the parents will talk about, you know, I used to drink and now after I see your picture, I don't do that anymore. Or I had a family member that went through something similar. Um, and it just to keep her story going to help others is like my goal in life. So I still have people that approach me through DM or through Facebook that I don't even know. And they will tell me I'm numerous friends that I've met. You know, I lost a, a child to this or a child to that. Can you help me walk through the legal system? Can you help me put a sign up in their honor. Um, what ideas do you have as far was, was the civil suit satisfying at all? Like just different things that people, and I'm, I'm glad that I'm available for that. I mean, I, that's how I want to be to the day I die. You know, does it bring me more pain? Cause I think about her. Yes. But I know that I'm helping others and I know others have so many questions that like I had, I didn't know where to start when this happened. Right. So in that the news, keeps getting letting me do PSAs and bringing her story to light says so much about her and so much about the story that I pray that it continues so that every holiday or every summer or every New Year's Eve that something reminds people of her and her story. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, you know, and I appreciate you, you know, not only willing to come on and, and tell even 
you know, as we were talking earlier, sometimes those uh, smaller formats, those shorter formats get just the highlight aspect of it. And because they don't have an hour to put on uh, a story. And so I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing some more uh, of the, of the details. And, and I, you know, you, you, so my mind's going in a thousand different directions right now, but uh, you know, I've, I've, I'm asked a lot by, by school districts about how do we implement um, social emotional learning? How do we implement the CEL? Um, and, and how do we do that, especially with some of our core classes that we, well, we got to get these academics, you know, we got to meet these certain standards, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you just got done explaining how you start off every school year um, with your students and, and you're teaching health class, right? Is that what you know? I know. <laughs> you're, you're te- <laughs> exactly. You, you're teaching, you're te- teaching some, you know, foundational, but, but for freshmen, that's, that's a, they're, you know, that's a higher level typically um, of classes. And, and you start off by, by sharing that story. And I think part of social emotional learning is developing a container for relationships so that they, they know you as a person and they also know, um, uh, you know, know your own story of resiliency. So one of the things that, and you, you, you know this, if you don't know this, you know it because you've experienced it. Um, but when we talk about how do we, how do we help develop resiliency in others? Right. As we mentioned, we it's we have to practice it. It just doesn't come. And a way that we can practice it is that first we have to be open to it. And so we talk about uh, they talk about the initial thing is, is that we have to be open to it. And the one way of being open is by acknowledging something we're grateful for. So having that attitude of being grateful or gratitude is that is that first step. And then if an educator can have that attitude of being grateful for where they're at now and what they have now. And then they can reflect on their own stories of resiliency throughout their, throughout their life. Then they're more likely than to be able to see it as their students are experiencing something. And for someone who wasn't very good at math, or at least that was my perception of myself, um, math was a mountain for me to climb when I was in school. And, and so, um, so there are opportunities all the time to, in, in your classroom, to help them work through things that they don't think they could probably do. Right. But it, they just may need a little bit of coaching and some practice, but also perse- um, perseverance um, to, to get through those sticking points. Right. And I'm glad that I open up and I, I show that I am vulnerable, you know, because it helps them to know that, Sure, she's my teacher, but she's human. Mm-hmm. And now we have that that line of communication, not only for social emotional, but like you just said, for academic. So some teachers or some students feel like they can't approach a teacher after school or before school or during lunch. But I always tell them my door is open, whether it's for a math problem or whether it's you had a bad day at home or whether you're going through some deep issues and that I've been there. I've done that. I know it sucks, but we can get through it together. And that seems to open up the pathway. I mean, I have kids that I don't even have in class that know my story and they'll pop in and talk to me too. So that, 
it's, it is wonderful. Well, it definitely sounds, as you were describing, Amanda, um, earlier, it is definitely, and not that you weren't doing it earlier in your life, but for sure now, um, that uh, openness of not judging someone, no matter who they are, that it appears that Amanda preached more than once to you um, about who she would bring home. Um, I think you're doing a, doing a great job of modeling that. Um, and in having your, your space, regardless if that's online or in your classroom, in-person classroom to, to be available for, for people to bring whatever that is. So as we're, as we're getting ready to kind of wrap up, I, I just curious a couple of different, a couple of things, because we've talked, we've talked about a lot of different things. We've talked about resiliency and we've talked about perseverance and, and we talked about the grieving process and then the complications that come with, with traumatic loss that, that complicates that grieving process. Um, if there is something that you want to share regarding, uh, regarding any, any of that, regarding the grieving process or resiliency, um, what would you want some of the listeners to kind of hear from you? Well, there's two or three things. Just everyone grieves differently. It's okay if your children aren't um, talking about a sibling. It's okay if your husband and you go separate ways for a little bit. Like everybody has a different timeline in their grief. And I'm glad that we had that foundation at the beginning so that we could all come back together and um, be able to enjoy a day now and talk about her without feeling like it's going to offend somebody, you know, don't feel like you can't approach somebody about their loved one because when people tell me stories, I I love it. You know, I, I put something on Facebook for her friends this year that said, please send me pictures. You know, there's so many things that I haven't seen and I, you know, people still feel, feel afraid to post stuff. And then I saw new pictures of, of kids, you know, um, what else do I want to say? It's, Without in my faith in my foundation with God and knowing that my child is, was a born again Christian, I know I'm going to see them again in heaven. And that to me, for them, it'll be a blink of an eye. For me, it's just forever. But when I get there, it'll be like, hey, mom, you, how was that dinner last night? You know, mm-hmm. and go to a place that you can have that peace, you know. I get that peace by going to the ocean and, and watching the waves and watching the sunset. And um, it's okay if I go, go there by myself. It's okay if I just want to do that. And, you know, if you want to journal, if you want to take your walks, if you want to ride your bike, I mean, if you can get other people to go with you, that's wonderful. But if you need to pursue that on your own, then just do that because everybody has a different way of, of accepting things. And it's okay. If you have a bad day, you're going to have setbacks. You're going to have a day, like I said, that I just can't get out of bed and I just have to call in, but then you wake up and the next day is a new day. And then you go from there, set small goals so that you can attain them. You know, you, you said something and, and when tragedy happens, um, many times it will, um, force us into a position that prior to that 
incident happening, we may have, and I think that's what's happening, you know, right now with the pandemic going on and with, with all the political and racial and civil unrest that we have right now. Um, we're, we're, if we're being forced into um, the God that we may have had prior to, and our concept of God prior to this, we may, we, it may not be big enough. And so, um, and I think, for me, that is that element that's when I've had setbacks in my life or obstacles in my way, my perception of God was was much smaller than I thought. And then this forced me to reconstruct some things, uh, forced me to, well, probably first deconstruct what my perception was and then recognizing that God was a whole lot bigger, kind of like we were talking about earlier, by going to the ocean or going to the mountains, you see how small you are and how big, how big God is, how big these universes. And, and, and I think regardless if it's, um, if it's grieving or if it's spirituality, um, that may also be one of those things that happens um, in the midst of, when we had obstacles on our road um, is that it, it forces us, to, you know, I have a friend of ours that their son died this year from um, brain cancer in a matter of less than three months from diagnosis to, to death. Um, and, and, and really struggling with, uh, they all are grieving differently and, and, and struggling with um, uh, why did it happen? And, um, and, and I don't know, if that question will, will ever get answered, um, yeah. or at least with any level of satisfaction. Um, because, but there sure definitely is enough people that will give us really um, uh, dumb things when they say they, they think they know why things happen. Um, I think it's more about what do we do with it than it is why did it happen. Right. Um, I, I had an accident three years ago um, where I got hurt when I was out in Colorado and, um, and I ruptured a tendon in my, in, in my knee and had to be taken off the mountain. And afterwards, when I came back, people you know, said, well, you know, God's probably trying to, you know, get you to slow down or, you know, you are getting older, you know, Kevin, all this and all these sidebars. And I said, well, you know, the reason why it happened there's only one reason why it happened. And you go, well, why is that? I said, it's called gravity. <laughs> if there wasn't gravity, I wouldn't have gotten hurt. <laughs> um, it, it has more to do with what are we going to do when those things happen versus um, me fixating on why did it happen? Right. Why it happened. Um, an individual chose to drive intoxicated that impaired his ability to to drive properly. That's why. But w what you're doing with it, what your husband's doing, what your sons are doing with it, what a community's doing with it, um, clearly Amanda's still having a presence um, in people's lives. Um, and um, her light hasn't dimmed at all. Um, it continues to shine. So. Diane, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for sharing uh, Amanda's story and as well as your own story and, and your family's story as, as they've gone through this. And, and, and yes, there are times when we're going to be tired and we're going to be weary. Um, and we do need to take that rest. Um, but then we also need to get up. And because we never know who needs us 
to exactly. be there. You know, um, that doesn't mean that we we still need to rest. We still need to take take care of ourselves. But um, but we I don't know when I'm going to be utilized, so I have to make sure I show up. And and it, and it sounds very much that's uh, you think the same thing. So yeah, I yeah. agree. So any last thoughts as we get ready to, uh, uh, I just wanted to put a little thing out there. It, I know people still have stigmas about, um, mental illness and, and counseling and everything else. And I think the best thing that my family did is we all found different counselors. Not everybody's a right fit for everybody. And they, it's so good to have somebody that's unbiased that you can talk to. And it doesn't mean you go for six weeks and you're done. You mm -hmm. continue that as long as you need to. You know, I just called my counselor I haven't talked to in like eight years last month. Mm -hmm. And we had a couple sessions again. And it just, it's okay to do that. It's, it's wonderful to do that because you're getting the help that you need. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, not only because I'm in that, not only because I'm in the profession, obviously, but, but, um, I, I agree because if I wanted to become really good at a sport or at a particular activity, um, I would go to have someone coach me up and, and, and I don't go to the gym because, uh, I don't only go to the gym because I'm overweight. I go to the gym to work out to, to be the best I can be. So, <laughs> so, um, but with that, Diane, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for the, for the work that you do and, and for the things that you choose to say yes to, but most importantly, what you're modeling, um, for, for the ones around you and for your students. Um, that that come and have the privilege of having you as their as one of their teachers. So thank you very much. Thank and, you. And, and if anybody needs to reach out to me, please do so. Yeah. What? Is, yeah. What's the best way for somebody to get a hold of you? Um, well, I'm on Facebook under Diane Dash Kirsch Cordage, but they can also um, call the high school at Harlem, and they could send me an email. It's just Diane Cordage at Harlem one two two dot org. Um, or they could just send me an, uh, a DM, like a direct message, and I'd be happy to return it. Perfect. Thank you very much, and we will uh, talk to you soon, and, and probably sometime in the future I'll, I'll be asking you to come back on and just kind of give us an update. To. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye.